Hey guys, welcome or welcome back to another fun-filled edition of Soap Lore. I'm your host, Jet, and this is the official gathering place for newbies, novices, and OGs to gather and enjoy the soapiest, sudsiest primetime storyline of the early 2000s, 90s, and 80s. We're going to jump right into this because it is my personal goal to burn through Dynasty, get to episode 14 so that we can all be on one accord. This episode, episode 11, happens to have a very obvious name that I refuse to use. This episode, according to me, is called Blake's Calendar. We're going to go through a day in the life of Blake Carrington. So sit back, lay down, do whatever you need to do to be as comfortable as possible. I hope you are listening to this when you're vibing and chilling. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Soap Floor. Episode 11, corny title, we're going to skip and we're going to call this either Nope or Blake's Calendar. For the record, I did go see Nope. And although I'm not a huge horror movie fan, and I will not hail this as like one of the cornerstones of the genre, I will say it made me think. And this episode kind of has not the same vibe as the movie, but it is basically a bunch of no's that need to be turned into a positive for one reason or another. When last we left, Fallon had decided that she was going to keep the baby that she and Jeff created. So first thing on today's to-do list for Blake is to send an obscene amount of balloons and this gorgeous arrangement to Fallon, Miss FCC herself, Fallon Colby Carrington or Carrington Colby, and give her a little gift and a blast from the past. A little bit of encouragement, if you will. So Blake orders these beautiful balloons, this oversized teddy bear, and it's all delivered to Fallon's room. Now, Fallon is laying in bed looking quite angelic, if I do say so myself. Why? Maybe it was stressful for her the day before. Nothing actually happened. No surgery, no invasive anything. But she's laid up in the bed as if she's just given birth. Now, Blake enters the room with this big spectacle of a congratulations gift And they have a heart to heart where he tells her, you know, babe, I was a poor boy and I only knew my own mother for about six years. But judging by the way you grew up, that's all you really need a mom for. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if this is your first time joining us for Soap Lore, welcome. I'm so glad that you decided to join me today. I want to let you know that I don't lie about anything. What I do is extract the essence of a scene versus boring you with the details and giving you a blow-by-blow verbatim version of the dialogue within said scene. And this particular scene, Fallon, who is head over heels with a new guy she met for about 10 minutes. She's only actually spent about eight hours with Nick, but she's in love. And unfortunately, she got knocked up by her own husband and she wanted to have an abortion, but she decided not to. Her father is over the moon because her father, Blake, has actually lost a baby with his new wife, Crystal. So he's given Fallon this the historical content of her family. He lost his own mother at six years old, and he gives her this beautiful christening gown. And she's so shocked because she's like, Papa, I thought you were a poor. And he's like, I was a poor, but you know what? Back in the day, sometimes poor people saved up for things. They saved and they made a decision on what they were going to buy. And they felt that a christening gown 
was important. She and Stephen have both been christened in that. And now her new child will be christened in the same fashion. Blake feels good. His little brat nightmare of a selfish daughter is on the mend and all is well. On to the next task. Blake is truly feeling himself at this point because the oil tankers in the Middle East have been returned to him. Natural money is flowing back his way. He's starting to get his groove again and he decides it's more than enough time for Crystal to get her stuff together. So he goes to the bedroom and he's like, Crystal, where did you take off to last night? If y'all remember on the previous episode, Alexis answered the phone when she went over to steal slash borrow food. And it was Crystal calling from a payphone that Crystal was fabulous in her mink coat. She took the note last season. She's going to wear every penny of that $100,000 wardrobe. Blake wants to know, where in the heck did you go? And she's like, it doesn't really matter, Blake, because you were with Alexis. And he puts two and two, get, two, and two together and realizes that, ah, you must have been the person who called last night. Again, once again, you're being crazy. Nothing's going on. Crystal, of course, pouts and looks incredibly sad and it goes nowhere. On to the next task for Blake. So Blake goes into the office, business as usual. Again, he's feeling himself. He has, he's back in his groove. But there's a bigger order to deal with at this point. He's gotten wind of the fact that that Jeff has decided this also is no longer a fit for him. He can no longer work for Denver Carrington. Side note, it was either last episode or the episode before that where Jeff decided he needed to be his own man. He's finally standing up for himself fully. He reached out to Cecil to see if his marriage was indeed a sham, ushered in by him. But here's the thing. When you've always lived on someone else's bill, you can't really be your own man. I thought he could. I still think he can. However, he went from living on Colby's coattails to living on Blake's coattails. He can't even slam the door in the house because it's not his house. The sad part is, is this man is a multimillionaire, yet he can't make any decision in his life without making sure that it goes to another source, including quitting the second job in a row this week. Why he unpacked in the first place, I really don't know, but he is packing his boxes in his office and Blake nonchalantly saunters in. He wants to know why, why son, why I like you better than I like my own children. And Jeff says, you know what, Blake? I can't take it anymore. I'm going to divorce that nightmare of a spawn you call a daughter. I'm getting rid of her because she got rid of our child. Now, Blake finds this amusing because he knows full well that Fallon didn't actually end her pregnancy. And he tells Jeff as much. Now, Jeff has been drinking and acting a teetotal fool for the last three days. So it takes him a moment to actually sit there and drink in this new information. I suppose the stunned look of surprise is more than enough satisfaction for Blake that he sees on Jeff's face. So he moves on to the next task, which is bringing in, guess who, guess who? Dr. Toscani. So Nick arrives at Blake's office like, hey, Blake, you wanted to see me? What's up? Blake wants to know why Crystal is still tripping. Why isn't this woman fixed? And this was all, this is a little too much for Nick. Unbeknownst to Blake, Nick hasn't had a peaceful morning since he met his horrible daughter, Fallon. In fact, 
That very same morning, Fallon accosted him at breakfast, wanting to know why he was talking to Crystal, this, that, and the third, where he was going, and he's just over it. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sick of you people. I am a real doctor with real patients, with real problems. Yet here we are once more and again, and it's all too much for him. And perhaps the fact that he has a thing for Crystal is pushing his boldness. And he's like, you know what? Can't take it anymore. I've talked to Crystal three times. It's not long enough to heal her, Blake. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Soap Law Theater. The roles of Nick Toscani and Blake Carrington will be played by myself, Nick. Blake, healing someone takes time. It doesn't just happen when you snap your fingers. It's going to take me a little bit of time. Blake, feeling very self-conscious suddenly, says, Are you saying it's me? Is it my fault that she's not healing? Is, is, is that what you're saying? Mm, Nick. <sighs> yes. Yes, I am, actually. Actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. Blake, you can't snap your fingers. You can't snap your fingers and fix people. People need time to heal, and you are not giving her that. Blake. Still feeling insecure. So what you're saying, basically, if I was more patient, man, she'd be better. What are you trying to say, man? I'm doing my best. Nick. Oh, my God. If you can't be a human being, please be humane. For whatever reason, that turn of words really sets off Blake. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? You're suddenly, you're being so personal, Nick. What is your problem? Now, considering the backstory, we understand that Nick is he does have a personal vendetta. We know this now as the audience. However, what he's saying does not reveal that. Somehow, Blake is suddenly very keen and very aware of other people and he can read them well, although he can't read his wife. You feel me? What is that about? You can't read your wife. You can't read your child. You can't read Jeff. You can't read anyone. You can't even read Alexis. Yet, in those 27 words, you can suddenly read Nick's whole past. And this is the part that bugs me. Soap opera or not, Nick buys into it. He suddenly backsteps, starts stutter stepping. He's like, well, I'm just saying if someone hurts my family, I have, to, I have to go after them. And Blake is standing as calm and cool as he's ever been. He looks like a statue. And he asks, what do you mean hurt your family? What are you talking about? Nick once again realizes he's, he, this is a faux pas. He, he's overspoken. He didn't mean to say that. And so he's like, listen, I can't have anything personal against you because you've never personally hurt me or my family, dude. That's all I'm saying. Like, you're being weird right now. Chill out. Turns on his heels and leaves the room. Blake sits there contemplating for a moment before he pushes the intercom. and He requests that someone in records look into Dr. Nick Toscani. Now, whoever it is on the other side of the line is like, yo, you already did that. I know I already did it, he says. Do it again. There's something amiss. We're reaching a little bit, but I'll allow it. Soap tap. All right, so Fallon's been handled. Jeff's been handled. Crystal's been handled. Nick's been handled. Let's now handle Fallon and Jeff together. So Fallon and Jeff arrive at Blake's office, and they're arguing back and forth. He wants to know why there needs to be a divorce. I mean... I mean, really? I don't want to go there. He know he knows what it is. He knows what it is. So they're bickering back and forth, and he pulls a dad card. He tells them both to shut up, sit down, and guess what? 
their baby deserves a fair chance at having two parents under one roof. So essentially, he grounds them. Neither one of you can move out because neither one of you have your own crib. You live on my stuff, remember? I pay Jeff's salary now and Fallon, I fund your life. So guess what? You're going to sit pretty in my house until this baby is born and we'll revisit this in the future at some point. Now, there is surprisingly no commotion. And I'm watching this thinking to myself, now, Jeff, Jeffrey, Jeff, Jeff, didn't you say that you wanted to be your own man? Apparently not. Not when it comes to matters of the heart and not when it comes to a Carrington. He bites his tongue and he plays his role. One more thing checked off Blake's list. On to the next. I feel like these were all of the major tasks that he wanted to complete before the day because those are done. And he's back to business. He's running Denver Carrington when suddenly he receives a call from the Denver. We're going to call him the Buckaroos because we don't know if it's the Broncos or not. The Denver Buckaroos coach calls and he's like, Yo, that Ray dude, Ryan Woods dude, is here, and they want me to get rid of the quarterback midseason. They want to trade like now. Now listen, I'm no pro football expert, but I'm pretty sure you don't trade a QB in the middle of a season. That's not how that works. Trades generally don't happen in the middle of the season, especially with someone as essential as a quarterback. So Blake, he's feeling himself. He's got a lot of success under his belt, so he decides he's going to show up. He shows up. And shout out to all of the extras, because when he comes in, all of the Denver buckaroos are lifting weights, they're sweating, they're doing all the things. Some of them are working a little harder than others to get their camera time, but I appreciated this. I smell, I don't know if I smell an extra award, but maybe I do. Blake gets to the the weight room and he spots Ray and he walks over. And he's on a he's on a roll. He's told Crystal to get her life together. He's told Dr. Descani to get his wife his life together. And he's told Fallon and Jeff that they're grounded until that baby's born at the very least. So he has no problem telling Ray to chill out. Don't you ever come up here and bother the bunkaroo coach. Don't do any of that. You hear me? He thinks he's that man. So that's one more thing off his list. In other news. While all this is going on, while Blake is burning through his calendar, several other developments happen. Now, after Fallon ran into, quote unquote, you know, big air quotes, ran into Dr. Toscani at breakfast, who was not happy to see her, not feeling her, doesn't care that she's keeping her husband's baby because what's it to him? He's just frustrated that she doesn't get that A, he doesn't want her and B, he is a grown man with a job. Fallon, again with this. Fallon goes to her mother, Alexis, and she basically tells her that she's in love with this man who's not in love with her. Now, Alexis suddenly is feeling very motherly and she's like, darling, you must fight. Fight for your man. Find out who he loves and fight her too. So Fallon has that in her head. At least it appears she does. Now, in all this hoopla, we forgot that Sammy Joe and Steven are actually married. (laughs) So they got hitched and they went back to the cabin And Sammy Jo is just, she's so happy. She's glowing. She's young. She's beautiful, you know? And she's hooked herself a Carrington. She's so excited that she's bought $10 worth of magazines. She's flipping through, basically trying to get a feel for what it's going to be like to be a Carrington. Well, Stephen tells her, you know, darling, I'm so in love. I think I'm going to quit the refinery and I'm going to be a race car driver full time. And we talked about this briefly last episode. She's like, oh, that's awesome. But then he drops a bigger bomb on her. 
she starts talking about, you know, where they're going to live and funding all this. And he's like, uh, didn't, um, so just because my dad is rich, it doesn't mean I'm rich. Like I don't have a trust fund. My dad was actually grew up poor. I don't know if you saw a few scenes back where he was talking to Fallon and she said, dad, weren't you a poor? And he was poor. Yeah. So because of the way our family tree is set up, I don't actually have any inheritance yet. Now, baby girl is shook and shut down. She's like, what? She keeps a straight face though. She keeps the best face she possibly can. And Stephen's like, is that going to be a problem? And I'm sure in her head, she's thinking, absolutely fool. I want to mess with you. Are you serious? You ain't got no money. But she quickly deduces that "Mm, even if you don't have money, I'm a new Carrington and your dad has money. I'll figure it out. If not, I'll ask my aunt Crystal. She'll put me up on game. Sammy Joe was immediately like, well, no, silly. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have bought $10 worth of magazines if you were poor. Not true. So they haven't told anyone they head back to the house. But of course, Alexis kind of has this feeling. She sees, actually, she finds out. I can't remember how she finds out because they don't say anything as they pull up to the house. They're like out in the driveway, kissing and smooching and all that. And Alexis is walking up, but they don't actually tell her at that point. But some at some point, she's someone tells her. And Alexis can't, I mean, if she can, she don't like Crystal. She can't stand Sammy Joe. So Alexis tries to do the classy thing, even though she's really, really angry. She storms upstairs and she finds Crystal in her bedroom. And she's like, Crystal, did you know that that hillbilly niece of yours and my very fine, refined, refined son got married? Now, Crystal is is shocked, but you can tell she doesn't want to give Alexis satisfaction because she's still trying to mold over in her head whether or not Alexis hooked up with Blake. She has a tabloid. She has all the proof. She feels a way about her already, you know? So Crystal pretends to be like, oh my gosh, no. Yeah, of course I know. Me and my niece know everything about each other. And I love young love. Isn't it wonderful, Alexis? Now, Alexis is big mad. She's like, oh, okay. This is, once again, one of Crystal's failed attempts to actually check Alexis, but it falls flat. So Alexis is like, hmm, you know what, boo? This is me again with Soap Law Theater. Alexis, hmm, yeah, I do. I do understand. I understand young love. You know, me and Blake were young when we got together and, oof, hmm, fire still burning, baby. If I was you, I'd be concerned. End. End scene. There's no even point in even talking about what Crystal says. I don't even remember. All I know is that Alexis leaves the room looking like mm-hmm. the sing song look on her face and Crystal bursts into tears and she calls Nick. It's just like, I can't take it anymore. I can't believe this is happening. And Nick is like, girl, we've been through this. You know what it is. Why are you still there? We'll leave it there. So After all is said and done, we have to get back to Blake and his schedule. He has put in a full day. He has checked his family. He's talked to everyone he needs to talk to. He has pretty much put Ray, Ray, not Roy, Ray in his place, or so he thinks. So he and Jeff are walking out to the limousine, and the new driver, who's not Michael, unfortunately, is prepping to open the door. Now, he and Jeff, that being Blake and Jeff, are chit-chatting about business when suddenly this unmarked car with these two big guys in the front seats, one driver obviously and the other is hanging out. 
on his best friend's ride, holding a stick of dynamite of all things. Now they see this and Jeff being younger, it clicks in his mind a little better. His, his instincts kick in and he immediately grabs Blake as the dynamite is thrown at the limousine. The limousine explodes. Blake and everyone else hits the ground. Blake and Jeff and Driver hit the ground. But Jeff is obviously covering Blake. Keep that in mind. Jeff has covered him the entire time. When Blake rolls over, he looks up and he's like, Oh my God, I'm blind. Oh, guys. This was unexpected for me. This was unexpected. I expected Blake to get roughed up. Or some sort of ransom seems the best. I felt like Crystal or Fallon were going to stumble into some mall and be snatched up. Or even Sammy Joe at this point. But no, we got a blind guy now. I can't wait to talk to you about the next episode. Join me next time. Remember to stay hydrated and keep all of your drama on TV.